Hello, and welcome to Heartline Ministries, a one-hour televised program and audio podcast where we take the timeless truth of Scripture and apply it to hearts and lives in the 21st century. Join Pastor Harold Noyes of Community Christian Church in Athens, Vermont, and Pastor Timothy Golden of Life on Main in Charlestown, New Hampshire, as they bring the light and life of God's Word to current situations and experiences. Now here are your hosts, Pastor Harold Noyes and Timothy Golden. Tim, we've been going through the Gospel of John. We've started chapter 6, and today we're going to be going and in talking about Jesus is now, and, and the disciples are going to dismiss the multitude of the, the 5,000 or 20,000, if you count women and children, and, and such. Now they're going to go, and they're going to go across the sea. But there's a great storm. Mm-hmm. And um, I always, I, I love this portion of Scripture. I just love this where, you know, the disciples get all scared and nervous and all kinds of things. And here's Jesus just calmly walking on the water. And he speaks a word. And immediately it dispels the storm. How many of us go through storms without going to Jesus or without asking Jesus for his help or his instruction or his wisdom or whatever and we face the storm by ourselves and we mm-hmm. you know we get swallowed up by the sea mm-hmm. when in fact we could go to Jesus and he could you know handle the situation a whole lot better than we do exactly but we just don't seem to go to him first it's almost like you know you buy this thing and you and you try to put it together and when you got pieces left over, then you go and read the instructions. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that happens yeah. to me all the time. <laughs> you know, and, and you know, I, I ought to learn from that mistake, but I don't. Yeah, welcome to the crowd. You know, so, <laughs> so we do that. So, you know, I'm, I'm amazed that the differences, not that the differences certainly take away the validity or the inerrancy or the perfection of the Word of God. Right. Um, it's just we have to remember that Matthew's account is through Matthew's eyes, Mark's account is through his eyes, John's account is through his eyes, all led by the Spirit of God, mm-hmm. but they're all going to give varying accounts as they saw it. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see, you know, that, this, that there are some differences in the account, in this, this one mm-hmm. particular account. And, and I found them to be very, you know, very telling yep. about the personality, I think, of the guys that wrote. And, but also very telling about, uh, you know, the whole account itself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm, I, I really am enjoying putting the, all the scriptures together and yeah. seeing the differences. Yeah, and as we talked about before, it's so important for us to do that and right. not just take, because too many times people like to just talk on just one verse and just one approach. And, and if we just do that, then we fall... Uh, susceptible to wrongly interpreting um, or, or maybe not interpreting to the fullest detail yeah. that maybe we should um, a specific passage. Uh, we can make some theology and we've seen this happen across um, you know no matter what church you're part of or denomination you, you know might be involved in where churches have been known to do that where where we take one or two isolated verses and say well because this verse says this this must be the doctrine and it's like yeah but what about this one over here that would almost seem like it goes against this so there's something and it's not that the scripture goes against as we already said scripture will not go against it what's happening is there's something wrong with the um, interpretation of that verse because we have only looked at it from that one angle we didn't take the whole 
aspect of scripture to put a right um, a right perspective on right. what it was really saying. Right. So that's you know that's why I like I, you know I love these four gospels because you do get four different perspectives mm-hmm. without damaging. Yeah. The word of God, yeah. or in this case, three different because three Luke, different. Luke, Luke actually doesn't cover this, though the other three do. And John wasn't the one that covered it the best. Right? Yeah. You know, uh, it was Matthew that actually goes into the greatest detail on this one. Sometimes John goes into more detail. Right. Sometimes Matthew does. Sometimes Mark does. Sometimes Luke. But in this in this case, yeah. Matthew goes into more yeah. detail. You know, and and I I always you know when I, when I do this and and we see that three out of the four gospels now take up this account. Now, I don't want to call it a story. They take mm-hmm. up this account. Why, in Dr. Luke's perspective, you know, he's one who is very particular. He's a physician. He's going to look at detail. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't even mention this account, right. which really, you know, I look at that and say, wow, that, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's wild. But, but there's a at, reason for it. Yeah, because if you look at the ones that he goes into even greater detail, what is it usually around? It's around miracles, miracles yeah. that have healing involved. Why? He's a doctor. He's a healer, right. Right? And, and so he actually has more of a right to speak into those things uh, than maybe Matthew or Mark or John would have had simply because of his credentials. Right, right. So, I mean, it's, it's just, uh, to me, it's fascinating. And, and once again, does no damage at all to the Word of God, to the power of the Word of God, the accuracy of the Word of God. Not at all. It's, we see it that, you know, Matthew was a tax collector, Mark was a servant, Luke was a doctor. John was the beloved, you know, and each of them are going to see things mm-hmm. just a little differently. And if Tim and I came upon the same accident and the police officer asked Tim, what is your perspective of the accident? Then he comes to me and asks me my perspective. We probably would give two different accounts mm-hmm. or at least not with the same, the same um, detail because mm-hmm. I see it this way, you see it this way. Yep. And, and to me, that's, the, that, that's what makes the scriptures even more wonderful. Yeah. That God was not afraid to use human personality mm-hmm. to write his story. Yeah. You know, and if this was just a man-made written document, I would suspect that they would be afraid to do that. Yeah. Everybody's got to have exactly the same story. Mm-hmm. That isn't the way God is. Right. God says, look, I'll let you tell it by your perspective, you tell it by your perspective, and so forth. Mm-hmm. And to me, that that lends to the marvel of, of the beauty of the scriptures, mm-hmm. in my view, at least in, in my Absolutely. account, certainly. So um, we're going to be talking about the storm. We're going to be talking about all that happens there. And I find it interesting, Tim, too, that only one of the writers, which would be Matthew, actually talks about Peter climbing out of the boat and walking towards Jesus. Mm -hmm. John does not mention it. Mark does not mention it. And of course, Luke does not mention even the whole incident. So I find it interesting that Matthew is the one who who brings out that point about Peter walking on water, you know, which I, you know, I I would have thought. And and I've been in in the ministry 50 some odd years. And now doing this study, I say, oh, I didn't know that that wasn't in all four of them, or I didn't know that that wasn't in all three of them, you know? Right. But it wasn't. It was just in Matthew's account. And like you said, too, it's interesting that in Matthew's account, and this is, where, again, where you, you can see God's fingerprint in it. Because if man had written that, you would have omitted probably the part of him sinking. Yeah. 
it would have ended with him walking on the water towards Jesus. Yeah, giving Jesus look, a big hug. Look at the joy of the faith that he yep. had and the miracle that took place. But no, human frailty was allowed to be shown as well. Right. You see that throughout Scripture. You see it throughout the Old Testament. All these great mighty men of faith. But we weren't just told the mighty things about them. We were told their shortcomings too. Yeah, and and I love that. And and you know, and I just got done teaching uh, Sunday mornings on Hebrews 11, mm-hmm. and to look at all the wonderful characters, the the Hall of Fame people. Yet every single one of them had flaws, mm-hmm. but God used them. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I a couple of weeks ago I did I did Joshua and Rahab, two totally different people. Living life totally different, but he used them both to do one job, and that's to overcome Jericho. Mm-hmm. And I look at that and say, isn't that the way God is? Yeah. God can take absolutely different people, put them into a body of believers, and use them for the same purpose to and get in, his work done. And in that is the hope that we have. Exactly. The mere fact that if he can use mess-ups like them, he can definitely use a mess-up like me. Yeah, absolutely. You know? and, and, you know... Yeah, he can he can do that, and so to me that's the marvel of who God is, and and if we know Him that that way personally, we're going to be a whole lot better off. Yeah, you know to see Him do that. All right, we're going to be getting into John chapter six verses fifteen through twenty one. Uh, we may go a little further, but but we'll probably just stay right here in this portion of scripture because we're going to compare Matthew and Mark's account also. So I'm going to open in prayer, ask God to bless our time, and then Pastor Tim is going to read that portion of Scripture. Father, we thank you so much for the marvel and the wonder of this word that you've given to us Mm -hmm. called the Scriptures. Father God, help us to see that it is your hand. Father God, that you gave it to us, you wrote it to us, you inspired these, these writers, Father God, to put down what you would have them to put down. So, Father God, help us to see it, help us to apply it, help it to become real to us in our own walk of life. So, Father, be with the listener, be with the viewers, be with us as we minister. And we thank you in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. So, starting at verse 15, and I am reading out of the New King James today. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose, because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. You know, I, I love it. In this portion, John starts out in verse 15, and he starts out that Jesus perceived that they would come and take him by force. Mm-hmm. John saw that. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting that neither Mark nor Matthew mentioned that. Mm-hmm. But John did. Now, why would it be that John would have this perspective as opposed to Matthew and Mark? Mm. Could it be because John had a deeper relationship with Jesus, mm-hmm. and therefore he knew? Because remember, now Jesus is his beloved. So, so you know, I mean, John is that, that special person that all of us have. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we love the people that were around, but there are those 
particular people that we just, you know, and Jesus had that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus had that same thing. Right. And, and so John would be much more aware that Jesus would say, hey, John, you know, um, they're going to come to take me because um, they want to get out of Roman rule and they're thinking that I'm going to come as king, which I am, mm-hmm. because they knew the messianic prophecies. However, mm-hmm. their timing just wasn't suited, you know, uh, seeing that he was going to come the way he came. They expected him to come as a mm-hmm. king. He came as a baby. They expected him to come in force. He mm-hmm. came as a as a child in absolute total humility, mm-hmm. having nothing. Yet Jesus knew that they were going to come and want him to, to do that. And by the way, why why was it just before the week before the cross that they had Palm Sunday, for example? Mm-hmm. What were they doing? Why was it they were marching him down the streets of Jerusalem and putting palms in front of him and, right. and all this sort of stuff? Because right. they thought he was going to come as king, mm-hmm. even though he was on a donkey and not on a white horse. Mm-hmm. But, you know. And he didn't shut them down then because the timing was right for that to happen. Yep. Uh, up to the point that this has happened, as we see throughout the book of John, there are a lot of proclamations. In fact, John is known for speaking the, what are known as the seven I am's yep. of Christ. And there's seven... Uh, uh, characteristics that Christ gives about himself, such as being the good shepherd, being the door, being the way, the truth, and the life. You know, those things we have not seen unfold yet. I mean, he has not had a chance to reveal right. these aspects. And of course, the fact that he's the resurrection and the life right. also. Um, and so for him to be elevated to that point of king before he's had a chance to even make these proclamations and these uh, displays of his character and his authority and his power and his rule, uh, it would have been very out of place. And and I think, you know, in John's perspective, as opposed to Matthew and Mark, coming off the feeding of the 5,000, so what are the people thinking? Mm-hmm. Hey, the Roman government won't give us food. food. Mm-hmm. The Roman government isn't taking care of our needs this way. His Jesus... And what does he do? He multiplies the bread and fishes, yeah. and he feeds us beyond our fall. Mm-hmm. And what did he do prior to doing that? As we read and talked about last week, he taught them. What did he teach them for the whole day? Yeah. The kingdom of God. Right. This is what the kingdom of God is like. This is the way it's going to come. This is the way it's going to operate. So he explained to them this concept of the kingdom, and now he is demonstrated not only through his words, but now through his power by feeding the 5,000, that, wow, he could now talk to us about the kingdom. He is the king of that kingdom. You know, there's no debating it. I mean, it it was just crystal clear. It was like the big exclamation point to the message that was being given. And so that's why they were trying to elevate him. Yeah, and, and I see this. You know, for example, in John's perspective, and of course Matthew and Mark don't mention it, but in John's perspective, Jesus does not rebuke the people. Right. He doesn't say, oh, wait a minute, no, 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 you know, don't look at me, don't, don't, don't put me in this, this position mm-hmm. because, you know, I am going to be in this position one day. But that's not the fulfillment of time now. Mm-hmm. So what does he do? He just quietly mm-hmm. goes off into you know, the mountains to pray and to seek God's face and to mm-hmm. spend time with, with, you know, with God the Father mm-hmm. by himself. And he sends his disciples down to the lake to get into the boat to cross over the other side. And, you know, so, I mean, he does it quietly. He does it, mm-hmm. you know, not in, in a 
dictatorial way. He does it just, you know, that time is coming, but you won't understand that yet. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to go off into the sunset. So, you know, I find that very, very interesting. Another thing that I find interesting here is that um, it says he, he departed into the mountain himself alone. Um, why? You know, why did he do that? Well, because certainly he was going to go and, and spend time with God the Father. Mm-hmm. To, you know, everything the Father tells me, I tell you. Everything the Father shows me, I'm showing you. Mm-hmm. So I'm not doing this of my own. Yeah. I'm doing it from my Father. Right. So Jesus had to go, and, and this is hard for me to comprehend, but Jesus had to go, even though he is all God, mm-hmm. he's all man, so he had to go and get the instructions from the Father. Mm-hmm. If Jesus has to do that, why is it or how does it affect us that we ought to go and have quiet time before God mm-hmm. every day? If Jesus needed quiet time before mm-hmm. God every day, how much more does Harold Noyes need quiet yeah. time before God that's every it. day? That's it. And it's remembering that's why they came to the side of the lake to begin with. Right. Right? Or the side of the sea. Because they came there because Jesus had told them, you guys need time to rest. You, you need some time to recuperate. Right. And it was only after they arrived at this place of R&R that all these people were there. <laughs> yeah. And so he was moved with compassion and ministered to them. So he's coming back. He hasn't forsaken why they came there to begin with, because he understood we need this time right. to get refocused, to find out, again, where it is and what it is the Lord really wants us and the Father wants us to do. And so now he has done the ministry. Now let's get back to why we're over here on this side to begin with. It's... So I can seek the Father. You guys go ahead. Maybe, maybe part of the rationale of this is maybe if we divide yeah. <laughs> for a little piece, people won't follow us yeah. quite so quickly. Yeah. I don't know. Um, that's just my assumption at this point. So, but he has, like I said, he's, but he's got to go have his own personal time with the Father. And the disciples also need some time. Yeah. So. You know, so John, all John says here is that, he, and he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And that's all he says. Mm-hmm. I love what Mark's gospel says in verse 45. And he goes and straightway his disciples to get into the ship and to go into the other side besides unto Bethsaida while he sent people away the people. All right. And then it goes and says in verse 46, and when he had sent them away, he departed into the mountain to pray. So Mark is a little more specific as to Jesus departing and going into the mountain for a specific reason, and that is to seek God the Father's face, Mm because Jesus did not want to do anything apart from God the Father. How much more should that speak volumes to you and me, Mm -hmm. that we should not want to do anything contrary or apart from, and therefore we need to go before God the Father and to seek and to pray. Matthew's Gospel in verse 23 of chapter 14, and when he had sent the disciples away, he went up into the mountain apart to pray, and when the evening was come, he was there alone. So his disciples were not with him, he was Mm -hmm. by himself, but he went and he had his own personal quiet time. That's Mm -hmm. what I read out of it. Right. And how important is it for you and me, we need to go and have our own personal quiet time, mm-hmm. a time where we can just go and talk to God, 
pray to him, read his scriptures, spend time with him, and just converse on a one-to-one basis. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think that, 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 you know, we as believers, you know, we're so into doing religious activities where God mm-hmm. is saying, no, I'd much rather have you do intimate, personal relationship with me. Right. And that's what I'm seeing here. You mm-hmm. know, Jesus did not go and do the religious thing. Mm-hmm. Jesus went and did the relational thing. Right. And he went alone to speak to the Father. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they call it pray, and that's what you, you and I call it. I mean, it's a time to spend time mm-hmm. just conversing, talk. What is prayer? Prayer is conversing, having communication with the Father. And that's it. It's communicating. It's two-way. Yeah. It wasn't Jesus going and saying, Dear Father, blah, 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 yeah. blah, 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 amen, and then get up and go about his merry way. There was a time, just like in you and I talking, where you talk, and then you shut up. Yep. And you listen. And, and so this is what was taking place during that time of prayer. It wasn't just expressing his heart's cry to the Father. Take time to let the Father download to him as well. And I think that's something that we could learn to do a little bit better maybe in our own personal prayer time. But we often feel too pressed for time, and we'll go in, we'll make our, yep. take, take our prayer list in, make all of our requests to God, and then we'll get up and leave. And you know, I heard it put this way once. It's like having a, a marriage and them both sitting down at the meal and then the husband comes down the stairs and says, so honey, let me tell you about my day and goes on and tells her everything and then immediately gets up and leaves the table. And she's like, well, hold it. What about my day? What about my day? Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, no, don't have time for that. Got to get going. Yeah. What kind of a relationship yeah. is that? You know, there needs to be time for both to be able to share. You know, one of the things that, that at least in my own personal time, and I have personal time every day, mm-hmm. my own personal time, I do not find it wrong for me to go, and Father, this is what I think. But Mm -hmm. then I go and say, but what do you think? Right. Yeah, I need your perspective on this because I'm sure I don't have this entirely right. You know, so I need your perspective. And sometimes he'll show me through the reading of his word what his perspective is. Sometimes he'll speak to my heart and say, try this or do this or whatever. But I need to make sure that when I go and pray to him, I talk to him, I tell him my burdens, but also I, I have to sit back and listen. I love that, that mm-hmm. sign when it says, be still and know that I am God. Right. You know, and there's a time that we need that. And Jesus is actually fulfilling that scripture verse, mm-hmm. going up into this mountain alone to converse with the Father. Right. You know, and to spend time with him. And uh, so, so, you know, all three accounts give that. But one does not, you know, John does not say to go to pray. He just simply, he goes alone. Matthew and Mark do mention that he goes and communicates and prays to the Father. Then in verse 15 also, uh, you know, once again, he perceived that they were going to come and take him king by force. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that we're going to find is Jesus Christ is never going to be taken by force. Right. Especially as king. Mm -hmm. He is going to be the force. Right. You know, he's going to be, when he comes as king, he's going to be the judge. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody else's opinion is going to matter. He is going to come and judge. Mm-hmm. Here, they wanted to take him by force, and Jesus said, uh-uh, that ain't going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, when they do come to get me, and we see that at the end of John's Gospel, for example, how is it my time has come? Mm-hmm. Go, Judas, go do what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll meet you here, you know. Yeah. And he didn't fight. No, I d- you did not take my life. I laid my life down for you. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you do not take it. Yeah. You know, and don't. Yeah, you know, I don't want anybody to think that that you're superior to me because you are not. I'm God. Mm-hmm. And therefore, here I think it's very telling in verse 15. He perceived that they were going to come and try to take him by force, and he just kind of walks out of the scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that that and we're going to see this in other sections. You know, there's been times that the Roman soldiers did try to go get him, mm-hmm. but what happened to him? Yeah. Either they laid down as dead men, mm-hmm. and Jesus just walked over them and said, yeah. "Not now." Or the time the Pharisees tried to throw him over the cliff yeah. for preaching what they call blasphemy. And it says, got him to the edge of the cliff, and Jesus just turned and walked through the midst of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, where his authority is, nothing can yeah. stand in the not way. Not now, right? This is not going to happen on my watch. This is not going to happen. So, so now you have Jesus is, is dismissing, or at least the crowd is being dismissed. There's mm-hmm. 20,000 people dispersed. Jesus goes to be alone. He sends his disciples down mm-hmm. to get into a ship to cross over. Now... That's where we are at. Verse 16, and when evening was now come, his disciples went down into the sea. So, now remember, when we read the, the, the account of the feeding of the 5,000, that was an all-day affair, mm-hmm. right? In fact, the disciples came to him as, Master, it's getting to be evening. Everybody is hungry. And by the way, Master, we're famished too because we have not eaten yet. Mm-hmm. So you know that it was nighttime. It was time for everybody to go home. Get your own meals and do all this stuff. And Jesus says, no, set them down. I'm going to feed them. We're going to have a, you know, a meal together. But so this is that same evening that that is happening. Mm-hmm. All right. What I find very interesting is in this, you know, Jesus' day does not end there. Mm-hmm. Right. He's still working as far as I see. Mm-hmm. He's still working. He walks into the mountain, he goes and has prayer, he goes and, and communes with the Father and spends time with the Father and, and all of that. So so that is what is happening. And, you know, so when evening was come, when it was nighttime, his disciples went down into the sea. They entered into a boat, verse 17, and went over the sea towards Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. That's a telling story right now. Mm-hmm. Jesus is not with them. So now you have the 12 disciples in this boat, mm-hmm. rowing. Matter of fact, I think one of the other accounts, let me see if I can find it quickly, in, in Mark's account goes and says how far. Yeah. Um, it says that they, they went and they departed in the midst of the sea, and he saw them toiling yep. in the wind contrary yeah. about the fourth watch. Yeah, in John it actually mentions that he had he had gone the three to four miles. Three to four miles and so forth. But and then think- Mark, but Mark goes and elaborates a little bit more by letting us know when. So we know that he had gone out and he had set. You know, evening had come. They now were in the boat, and they're setting sail. Right. right? They're starting to row. Right. They're rowing three to four miles. Right. And it lets us know that Jesus sees that they're rowing, but to no avail. Right. They're not making any headway, and so. John lets us know how far. Mark lets us know when. Yep. And I found that very interesting because they set out at evening. Right. They've rowed three to four miles. That's a fair distance to row, but... For, I mean, these it, guys are fishermen. But I they're, mean, they're fishermen. They're, they're and, used to it. And so maybe a couple hours. Yep. That would bring us till if it's evening has come, maybe now we're looking maybe 9, 10 o'clock at night. Yep. But it lets us know that Jesus comes on the scene upon the boat, 
it says at the fourth watch. Yep. Now, the fourth watch is from 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, just before sunrise. So they've been struggling against the storm for some time. Yeah, can you imagine how tired these guys are? I mean... Yeah. Now, I mean, these guys are exhausted. And, mm -hmm. and, and I do like, I think Mark's account goes and says that they toiled, right? Um, and, yeah, Mark, and, that they were straining or toiling. Yeah, yeah, they were toiling. So, I mean, it was a hard, it was a hard task for them to, to go and to do this because they, and these are professionals. Yeah. These are not just like Tim and I, you know, that's not what we do. We're not physically up to that, and we can see you know, we'd be totally exhausted. Well, these guys, they did it every single day. Yeah. But what I love is almost the comedy in this, when you look at yep. Mark's account, because now you've got them toiling, got them straining for hours. It's now three to six, in, between three right. and six in the morning. They're straining, and then it says that as the night came to them, Jesus came to them walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's out walking the boat. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm, I, I, I'm just getting a visual of that, how crazy that must have yeah. seemed to them, that here this wind is blowing, not only is he walking on the water, he's out walking the boat. Yeah. You know, I just find that incredible. Yeah, you know, and, and if I could just add a little, little sidelight to that. Not only is he walking by the boat, but he was actually rocking the boat mm -hmm. because he is the commander of the winds and of the sea yeah. and everything. So I can just see him saying to the winds and to the, to the sea, all right, time, time to shake him up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Go do it. You know, and, uh -huh. and I mean, he was doing that. How are they going to, really, I mean, he knew how they were going to respond, but, mm -hmm. but just to watch their response Mm -hmm. Which I find is interesting because both Mark and Matthew are a little more precise as far as they were troubled. I mean, they thought they were going to sink. Mm -hmm. They thought they were going to drown. They didn't have life preservers back then. Mm -hmm. you know, and they were in the middle of it. They're not yeah. off to the shore. They're, you know, with all this wind and all the waves, mm -hmm. I mean, they thought they were, that they were going to become they fish bait. And, and this is the other interesting aspect because I believe Jesus knew that storm was going to happen. Jesus knew that storm. Whether, whether he's the one that stirred it up at the moment or whether it's just that nature was running its course and Jesus just knew, I think he sent them out at that specific point because he knew what was going to transpire because we know that Jesus does nothing by accident. He wastes no momentum. And the fact of what he has take place as soon as they get back in the boat. Yep. And the fact they said, okay, enough. And the winds stop. They show up miraculously where they're where they're supposed to be, um, but you just have this aspect of Christ, just knowing exactly what's going to transpire, but working with every moment of it. But even though he knew, I think that it was going to take place. But again, whether he orchestrated it or whether nature did, and he just knew it was going to happen, then the disciples didn't have a clue. And that's something that we need to understand about the geography of that area and that they say that this is very true of the Sea of Galilee and I think of it a little bit like uh, Mount Washington here in New Hampshire. Yeah. Mount Washington is not a, an overly huge mountain compared to a lot but it's one of the most dangerous climates because you got like from what I understand there's like five different atmospheric thingamabobbers whatever you call them that convey right there at the top of that mountain and it can create some very intense winds. Sea of Galilee has something similar kind of going on. 
because they say it can be totally calm and there can be not a cloud in the sky and, and the sea can be like glass and in a matter of minutes it can totally change on a dime and so this is a little bit when they set out they didn't the, the sea i'm sure looked perfectly fine yeah but just that little bit of distance the storm hit and that's the way the storms have hit on many many occasions on the sea of galilee you know as i read about the sea of galilee here in the scriptures there is a lake here in vermont in northern vermont that is to in my view in my picture is exactly like the sea of galilee i used to fish that lake a lot it's called lake willoughby mm. lake willoughby is a a lake surrounded by mountains up here mm. and then you have at the end of the lake where the beach is it's kind of flat and what happens is the winds come and mm. they come and they get caught between those two mountains mm. and i mean a storm can hitch like this mm. i mean if you're not watching the sky uh -huh. if you see a black cloud off to the west you had better start reeling in your you know your rods because it's going to hit, and it's going to hit with a fierce. I've been on that lake numbers of times thinking, okay, Lord, I'm coming home. That's all there is to it. I thought we were going to drown. Uh -huh. And the guy that was with me, very seasoned pilot of his boat, and, and been on that lake for a lot of years, and both of us thought for sure we were going to drown. That's what I, you know, mm. I pictured this lake Willoughby experience for me, what this, that this experience for these guys, because... Uh -huh. Hey, we were, I tell you, we were at the mercy of the wind and the rain and the lightning mm -hmm. and all that was happening. I mean, we were at the mercy. We, we, we just couldn't do anything about it. That's mm -hmm. all. We couldn't control the boat. We couldn't do anything. We were just rocking the boat, you know. And so I, I, I have a little bit of a sense as to what these guys were mm -hmm. doing, you know, and what was happening with them. You know, so when it was evening, his disciples went down into the sea, entered into a ship, and went over the sea towards Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. Yeah, one, one aspect of Jesus that I like. Now, I have a weird sense of humor, and I understand that. But I, I do like to think of Jesus in his humanity and in his being like us in some ways. I don't see Jesus without a sense of humor. Mm. You know, sometimes I think he's got a great sense of humor where he goes and says, well, you know something, I'm going to put these boys to a test. Mm -hmm. You know, and my thought is, okay, wind, you can blow. Okay, sea, you can rock. I want to see how my boys are going to respond to this. Mm -hmm. Knowing what he was going to do, yeah. knowing exactly what was going to happen. But, you know, I just almost wonder if he doesn't, you know, I'm not against Jesus having a sense of humor and saying, hey, I want to see how you're going to respond. Mm -hmm. You know, and see what, what's going to happen. Yep. I will be there for you, but I just want to see how you're going to do this. Mm. You know, to me, that's a test of faith where, where, you know, when we get to stand before him, he says, you know, in that test I did, you did all right. You did okay. Mm -hmm. Now, that other test I gave you, you know, not so much, but you did all right. Mm. And that's just, that's, that's my relationship with Christ. Mm. You know, how I see him is, is being that way. You know, so he goes and enter, they enter the ship. They go towards Capernaum. It's dark. Jesus wasn't with them. The sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlings, what's that, three or four miles, I mm -hmm. guess, um, they see Jesus walking on the sea 
and drawing near unto the ship, and they were afraid. Now they see him, and John identifies him as Jesus, but I'm not sure they see him as Jesus. Mm -hmm. John is the one who is identifying him as Jesus. Because if they knew that it was Jesus, would they have been afraid? Right. You know, I mean, that's my question. Yeah. Would they, but, but all they saw, and I think in one of the other in, Gospels... In Ma Matthew, they, it says that they actually thought he was a ghost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, so I find that. You know, the seas apply, and they went... And in verse um, 49 of Mark's Gospel, it had been a spirit, and they cried out. You know, so they did not know they, you know, who it was or what it was that was coming their way, and they were terribly afraid. Mm -hmm. Now, remember, one of the things that you know, in being over to Israel twice and and getting to meet some of the people and meeting stuff, you know, they were a pretty superstitious lot of guys, mm -hmm. you know, and so therefore it doesn't certainly hinder anything that they that they thought they saw a spirit or they thought that mm -hmm. this because they were that's who they were that's that was their culture that's who they were and and therefore they were not sure who this was but jesus is now walking on the water and and i love that picture too because what does that show me it showed me he has command of everything mm -hmm. you know he he's not subject to the water mm -hmm. he has command over the water and he can walk over it now certainly some liberal theologians would like to say well they were close to the shore, and Jesus just knew where the rocks were. Now, come on. That is, right. that, no, I'm sorry, that is not right. And if you've ever been to the Sea Galley, you know that could that be is not the case. True. That, that is not there. I've been on the sea. That is not there, okay? So they entered the boat. It's now dark. Jesus wasn't with them. A great tempest arose, verse 18. And when they had rowed three to four miles, they see Jesus walking in the water, drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. Immediately, and I think the Mark says it immediately. Yeah, and immediately he talked to them, verse 50, mm -hmm. and said to them. So he didn't let them flounder a whole long time. Right. You know, he didn't let them, you know, do that immediately. Once he was close enough, he immediately spoke out to them and said, It is I, you do not have to be afraid. I am here. Mm -hmm. I am in control, okay? Don't be afraid. So I, I love that, where he goes and says immediately, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Or in Matthew's Gospel, he goes and says, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And, you know, and, and I just love that aspect of it, Jesus going. And, and he does the same thing with us, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. I mean... Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ where when you're going through a trial, a tribulation, a temptation, a struggle, that you can go and you can lean on him and have Jesus give you that peace that passes all understanding where he says, don't be afraid. I am here with mm -hmm. you. He promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He promises us that no man shall pluck you out of my hand. So he's there. Even though you may be going through a storm, guess what? He is there. And when the time comes, when the when the fulfillment of time comes, he will calm your storm. He promised he'd do it. That's it. And he'll never let the storm overtake you. Yeah. He might let you be in it for a while. You can get tossed. You know. And they were in it for a while. And why does he allow? Why did he allow that to happen? You know, it might be one of the questions. Why even allow it in the first place? So they could see who he is. Yeah. 
they can understand because it's at the end of, I think it was, was it Matthew's account? I think it was, uh, um, no, it was the end of, I think, Mark's account. That it tells us that they were greatly amazed in themselves. This is after he had, yeah, they got back in the boat and everything. And he says, they were ama greatly amazed themselves beyond measure and marveled, for they had not understood about the lo loaves because their hearts were hardened. Mm -hmm. And I think that what that's coming down to is because they thought they were going to be able to go over there and play. Yep. Instead, they came over and Jesus said, guess what? We're going to do more ministry. Yep. And it became a lot of work, and they were worn out, and they were tired, and they were didn't understand. They just wanted a break. Yep. You know, and but because of that, they couldn't see, I think, Jesus for who he was in the midst of that moment. So he had to give them their own object lesson. Yep in this moment for them to come to a realization of who he is and how he would respond. Because, you know, so many times, we, I don't know about you, but we see this story portrayed in, um, you know, on, on the big screen. And what will usually happen, you have Peter walking out on the water, the storms are all blowing and everything, and then they get in the boat, and then Jesus says, peace be still, and the waves calm, and that's it. But there's two miracles that actually take place in this, because at the end of it all, one account tells us that immediately that the wave ceased. Another account says that immediately they were at the land where On they the were going. Side. So the rain stopped immediately and poof, you're here. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> you know? you know, and I have always, I have really always marveled at that. Mm -hmm. I mean, try to think of being the disciples. You're in the boat, you're struggling, and the next thing you know, you're on dry land. Mm-hmm. Just like, what happened? Yeah, you know, it's like he turned the jets on, and there they were. They were, they were mm -hmm. there, you know. And and I always, I love that. I just, yeah, he showed himself. And of course, what response did they finally have? And I think it's in John's Gospel. Truly, he is the Son of God. Is it no? Maybe it's Matthew's. In, I think Matthew's the Gospel. Um, you know, truly, yeah. he is the Son of God. You know, I mean, wow. You look at this and say, wow. Um, this is so, so neat. Well, because there's no other way to explain it. Right. You have to be God for this to take place. I like uh, Mark's gospel in 51. And when he went up unto them into the ship and the wind ceased and they were so amazed in themselves beyond measure mm -hmm. and they wondered and they considered not the miracle of the loaves. They, they had already, 12 hours into it, forgot the miracle that Jesus did just 12 hours before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How quickly are we that way? Mm -hmm. How quickly is it that, that Jesus goes and does something miraculous in our life and in no time short, we forget it. Mm -hmm. And we start worrying and fretting and carrying on again as if he had not done any miracles for us and not done anything in our life. That's, to me, that I mean, I do it. Okay, I'm just as guilty as everybody else. I do it, and I sit back and say, why? Yeah. Well, don't you think part of it was because that miracle was for the others? Yeah. You know, my miracle was supposed to be I got to have some free time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I didn't get that. And so this, he t does this miracle for, fi for the 5,000. They were working that miracle. Yeah, they were the ones passing out the basketfuls yeah. of, of the food. But it was their miracle. Yep. 
It yes. was it's their, not their personal one. right. It, it was their uh, expression of who God was. It wasn't for me, and I think that though so many times. This is what happens when we try to base our own faith on what God did in somebody else's life. You will forget it real quick. But when it hits close to home, when it hits you in the midst of your own storm, and you get a chance to see his face for who he really is in the midst of that, not that he takes, you know, not that he kept you from, the, uh, from having the storm in the first place, but that he saw you through it. Yep makes a more lasting impact as far as his sovereignty. But one of the things I think is very telling, though, is, yes, it was the miracle of the five or the 20,000, mm-hmm. whatever number you want to get, but the disciples did have their own miracle because they went and they gathered up the fragments and they got 12 right. baskets full. Mm-hmm. Uh, true. Oh, now we yep. can sit down and we can have a meal of to our full, yeah. mm-hmm. not needing yeah. of anything, yep. and Jesus took care of that. But at the same token... That was their leftovers. Yep, yep. I'm feeding off their leftovers. Yep. It wasn't mine. It wasn't mine. You know, yep. it, it's mine now. But again, it, it came to them for... And, and, and you're right. It, it is the miracle that, that did still touch them, but it wasn't quite as up close and personal. Yeah, not as personal. Yeah. So now we're going to get into a personal thing. And Matthew's gospel, and, and I'll be honest with you, I did not know this or I had not remembered this that Matthew is the only gospel that talks about Peter climbing out of the boat and walking on the water. John does not mention it. Mark does not mention it. Luke, of course, doesn't even mention the whole account. So Matthew is the only one who mentions it. Now listen to what he says. All right, straightway Jesus spoken to them, be of good cheer, it is I, don't be afraid. So Peter, being the impetuous one that he was, answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. So then what does Jesus say? No, Peter, you're just a mere human being. You can't do it. No, that isn't what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? All right, Peter, come. Just come. Mm -hmm. Just do it. And being Peter, as we all know Peter, what did he do? Mm -hmm. He jumped out of the boat. He just did it. Now, you know, if I can just stop here, and once again, this is just how we think. Did, did Mark and John not mention it because of their failure of faith? Where Peter showed his faith? Or did they not want to embarrass Peter because even though he walked by faith, he took his eyes off very quickly and started to sink? Mm-hmm. I have no idea why they did not mention it other than the fact that the Spirit of God did not instruct them to do it. Mm-hmm. And Matthew is the only one who did. So, so Peter goes and Jesus says to him, come. And when Peter was come down, so he did it. This mm-hmm. is an actual thing happened. He came down out of the ship, and he walked on the water to go to Jesus. So did Peter actually walk on water? Apparently, to what Matthew says, he did. Mm-hmm. He took some steps yeah. on the water, not on the rocks underneath the water. Right. He was on the water. But my favorite word, you probably have heard me say it a million times, that's my favorite word in all the scriptures, but here's Peter walking on the water, coming unto Jesus, but when he saw the wind mm-hmm. was boisterous, was loud, what happened mm-hmm. to him? When he sink. got into the midst of the storm, he took his eyes off Jesus. Mm-hmm. I wonder if our storms last a lot longer than what they were intended to last because we take our eyes off Jesus. Mm-hmm. Just a thought. Yep. 
you know, did God intend, all right, to get us through it and say, well, you're taking your eyes off me. You're going to sink. Mm -hmm. That's all there is to it. Yeah. And I will rescue you, yeah. but you have something to learn in this. Yeah. And I think Peter had something very specific Peter was an incredible it. man of faith. He was also a very impulsive individual. Yep. He had a habit of acting first and thinking later. Yeah. You know, just in normal. I mean, you yep. see so many counts of that. He's got to be the first to speak up. He's the first to act, all that kind of thing. And I, I just find it an incredible mark of his faith. Just in the fact that, you know, trying to place myself in his shoes or his sandals yeah. <laughs> and being on that boat and having rowed all this time. And I see this figure walking on the water and says, don't be afraid, it's me. And then Peter looks and says, well, if it's you, tell me to come out. So someone could look at that and say, well, that sounds like a little bit of a lack of faith. But then this voice says, come. Now... My brain sometimes gets me in trouble. Mm -hmm. But going through my brain was this. If that's Jesus and he commands me to come, I'll be able to walk on the water. However, if I'm really not sure that this is Jesus, then that means if this is somebody other than Jesus and they say, come, can I trust them? But he does. Yep. You know, at, at that very word come, he just jumps out. Yeah. Well, I don't do, know do that I would maybe, have done that. But you know? I, I think with that word come, Tim, is Peter recognized the voice of Jesus. Mm -hmm. If it had been anybody else's voice, he probably would yeah. not have. But I believe that he was so familiar now with Jesus that he would have recognized mm -hmm. the voice. And that is the key, isn't it? You, know, but, and, you and have to that, have that familiarity right, he had, because you're in his presence. But I think that is something and, and we just got to high sign. I just think that that is something that maybe we as evangelicals today, or as believers today, we are not as familiar with his voice as mm -hmm. we ought to be. Where Jesus goes and says, my sheep know my voice. I'm wondering how many of us as believers today in Jesus Christ really could know his voice when he mm -hmm. speaks to us. Peter knew it. Mm -hmm. And he did not hesitate to climb out of the ship. He did not hesitate to take a few steps. Mm -hmm. Now, once again, he took his eyes off Jesus and he started to sink. I find this, to me, this is fascinating. So when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried, Lord, save me. That mm -hmm. is the cry of all of us, isn't it? Lord, save me. Immediately, verse 15, uh, 31, Jesus stretched forth his hand, caught him and said to him, O thou little faith, wherefore did thou doubt? So he goes, he catches them, and, and just to see the might of who Jesus is, mm -hmm. he catches him and picks him up out of the water. Yeah, and, and what I want us to look at here too, and because I think so many times we as the church, we, we've kind of taught something bad here, because I think that when we look, we've looked at Jesus' words to him, Oh, you of little faith, yep. why did you doubt? Is almost like a chastisement. Mm -hmm. I don't think that was it at all. Because Jesus tells us that if you have the faith as a, a mustard grand, seed. Grand mustard seed. Sure. You know? So I think that it's that, you know, we've put the emphasis on the word little. Yep. Oh, you of little faith. You should have had more. You know, it's almost what's, what we imply. I don't think that's what he's saying. He's saying, oh, you that had a, enough faith that could have moved a mountain. Yep. You should have stayed true to that. Yep. But yet you doubted. So why, why did you doubt? Yeah. But I do think the key is, is really should be on the faith part. Yes. And, and, you know, it's almost like Jesus is going and saying, look, you're doing exactly what I expected you to do. Mm -hmm. You know, because you're a human being. Yeah. And you're going to do this. Yeah. But he stretched out his hand yeah. and he raised him up. And there came unto the ship 
in the wind seas. And they were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the son of God. He mm -hmm. no longer is the son of man. He no longer, in their eyes, or just a teacher, just a rabbi. No, you are the son of God. What an absolute profession of faith mm -hmm. that is in which they are doing. Mm -hmm. And then it goes, and when they had gone over, they came to the land of Gennesaret, and when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all the country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased. So they go out and said, hey, let me tell you what Jesus just did. Mm -hmm. You know, not only the feeding of 5,000, because they've forgotten that. Yeah. But now, look what he did on the water. Mm -hmm. Look what he did on the sea. And they still haven't had their time of rest yet. No. Isn't that amazing? But yet now they feel imp um, totally compelled. Yep. To go, their, their, their folks is totally yeah, changed. They're all jacked again. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's that, ready to go. It. And I love the fact that, and we can't overlook that one very important word, the. Um, they said that you are the son of God, not a son of God. Right. There's a lot of people who want to just say that he is a son of God as we are all just sons of God, that we're all on the same level. No, they said he was the son, the son of yep. God. You know, and then, let me just close with 36, and, and then we're going to go. And they besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. They believed the testimony of the disciples, even to the point of saying, he doesn't have to touch me, I just need to touch him. Mm -hmm. And not only him, but just the hem of his garment. And of course, we know the young woman that did that. The hem of his garment. And many as touched, what? The hem of his garment were made perfectly whole. Completely whole. And that's who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. And so I just love this account. I love comparing the three accounts uh, just to see the differences, but also the likenesses that are there. Um, mm -hmm. Just a wonderful, wonderful account of Jesus and Peter right. and the rest of the guys. I'm Pastor Harold Noyes, pastor of the Community Christian Church. We're located on the Lower Road in Athens, Vermont. We have morning worship at 9.30 every Sunday morning, and then we have evening worship at 6 p.m. on Sunday nights. We have Tuesday night Bible studies, Wednesday night prayer meetings. And if you're in the area, we certainly would love to see you. love to be able to spend some time with you. And if you're in the Charlestown, New Hampshire area, we meet at the Charlestown Senior Center. Life on Main has services there every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. Doors open about 10 o'clock for coffee and time of fellowship. I encourage you to come out, be a part of that. And um, just drop in, let us know you've seen us here on Heartline. And we just love to meet you and greet you. And I uh, want to thank everybody for tuning into the broadcast. Thank you to Colin and the team here that makes this broadcast possible. Uh, let people know that they are on a lot of the community stations along the Connecticut River Valley, as well as in Keene, New Hampshire. You can also find us on social media, whether it be on YouTube, Facebook, True Social, or Rumble. And you can also find us on most popular podcast providers when you're on the go. Yep. So I hope to see you next week. We'll be still in John chapter 6.